And we are live. We're <laughs> we're live, guys. We're live, and it is time for Bible study time. We are in Genesis twenty-six today. So get out your Bibles and or just keep watching this video so that all the scripture will be on screen. So uh, welcome, everybody. We're just going to jump straight into it so that everyone can get nice and situated. And uh, Justin, do you want to start us off with Genesis 26? Yes, I do. All right, we are in Genesis chapter 26 today, starting off in verse 1. Now there was a famine in the land besides the previous famine that had occurred in the days of Abraham. So Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Stay in the land of which I shall tell you. Live for a time in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and to your descendants, I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath which I swore to your father Abraham. I will multiply your descendants as the stars of, the, of heaven, and I will give your descendants all these lands, and by your descendants all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed me and fulfilled his duty to me and kept my commandments, my statutes, and my laws." We got another famine on our hands. Um, it specifically says here, now there was a famine in the land besides the previous famine that had occurred in the days of Abraham. To me, it seems like famines weren't super unusual. Maybe they're like hurricanes, you know, uh, next to the, if you live anywhere near the ocean. And so obviously this is a really big deal. Not having water, you know, is a pretty vital sustenance you need to survive um y'all didn't know we were going to learn biology on two bros but this is for free and um so and i think god preempts a natural desire to leave an area that's having challenges and going into another area that seemed to seems to be wealthy and and a pleasurable desirable place such as egypt and so first thing god says here is do not go down to egypt now for a number of reasons one is this is the land in which god is specifically have has set aside for abraham and his descendants and I suspect Egypt probably wasn't the most um, godly place in the whole world. I, I, I don't know that for sure, but it didn't seem to be a place where they're worshiping the one true God of the Bible. So um, that might be another reason why God didn't want them to go down to Egypt. Justin, what do you got? Yes, I like those thoughts. Well... Right off the bat, um, it talks about here in verse 1, um, the famine had occurred in the days of Abraham. Actually, in this chapter, 
Abraham is mentioned eight times. So this is the chapter after his death. And so we do see that as we closed out with Abraham yesterday, he still had a big impact uh, and influence. And so um, Moses mentions him here eight times, uh, just in this chapter specifically. So um, also it's believed that this is a different Abimelech. So previously in chapter 20, uh, in Genesis chapter 20, Moses, or sorry, Abraham had interacted with Abimelech. And so this is a different one. It's possible that Abimelech is a title instead of a name. Um, he's obviously a, a king of the Philistines. And so, um, kind of like the, the event, name, kind of like the name Pharaoh, perhaps. Exactly. Something, something like that. And the event that happened in Genesis 20 with Abraham and Abimelech had happened around 90 years uh, prior to this event. So but we do see here that the first part of this chapter, it kind of mirrors uh, Abraham's journeys, uh, like in, in reference to uh, Isaac is going somewhere and, and God, uh, you know, audibly kind of shows up and, and tells him where not to go and, and that he's with him and things like that. And we're also going to see in the next couple of verses we read, how it also uh, mirrors Abraham's jersey journeys in some negative ways as well. But like you said, you had mentioned the land. I mean, this is God wanted him to stay in the, the land that was ultimately uh, or later on going to become the land of Israel. So um, he is staying in this land. Another thing I want to point out in verse five. Well, really, let's go back to verse four. God says, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of, of heaven and will give your descendants all these lands. And by your descendants, all these nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed me and fulfilled his duty to me and kept my commandments, my statutes and my laws. I think this is a excellent example of how Isaac really benefited from the things that his father ultimately did, which was obey God and fulfill his duty to God. And so I think this is a perfect example of how your actions can affect other people's lives ultimately. In this case, specifically with regards to how a father's actions can affect a son's actions. I'm sure we can all think of a lot of examples of how something someone's father did or maybe your father did ultimately affected you. In either a good or bad way. In a good or bad way. And so I would just uh, keep that in mind as you're making decisions in life, whether you're whether you have a son or don't have a son, your actions affect the people around you and the people. And, and, and for that matter, people that you never meet in your entire life, your decisions likely will affect them as well. So yeah. Anything else before we move on to verse six? Well said. So I want to say verse four uh, talks about by your descendants, all the nations, the earth shall be blessed. Um, so that is, uh, I'm going to talk about the Abrahamic covenant when we get down um, toward closing out the end of the chapter, because there's, in, in uh, Beersheba, um, God kind of shows up and, and reaffirms that with Isaac. And so 
I just wanted to make sure, let everybody know we're not skipping that verse. We're just going to talk more about it later on. So that's, that is a very important one. Um, we're going to see how that connects to the gospel. So keep that fresh in your mind because it's going to yep. come right back. Yep. Okay. Verse six. So Isaac lived in Gerar when the men of the place asked about his wife. He said, she is my sister. For he was afraid to say, my wife, thinking the men of the place might kill me on account of Rebecca, since she is beautiful. Now it came about when he had been there for a long time that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked down through a window and saw them. And behold, Isaac was caressing his wife, Rebecca. Then Abimelech called Isaac and said, behold, she certainly is your wife. So how is it that you said she is my sister? And Isaac said to him, because I thought otherwise I might be killed on account of her. And Abimelech said, what is this that you have done to us? One of the people might easily have slept with your wife and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech commanded all the people saying, he who touches this man or his wife will certainly be put to death. Yes. So we see here, like we had just already kind of referenced that uh, Isaac is copying his father in negative ways as well. So he, he does the exact same thing that his father did about lying and saying that his wife is his sister. And so um, Isaac's lie here. Is, is evidence that he's not trusting God, right? He's not trusting God for protection. We, we see here, though, that God proved that he was protecting Isaac later on, when in a few verses later, uh, the king Abimelech actually made a law or a rule in his land that whoever was to touch Isaac or his wife would, would be killed. So Isaac wasn't trusting God for protection, and so he lied. But then we see after all this, you know, was uncovered that God was protecting him. And also something else here, I, I'm, I'm impressed by Abimelech, at least in this section, how this non-believing, this, this king who didn't share the faith of Abraham and Isaac, how much he valued marriage. Um, and I think it could have been, uh, that could have been maybe a cultural thing in those times, how even uh, just in, in the Near East or, or, you know, that they would have valued marriage a lot more. Um, I know that the Western world today uh, does not value marriage the way Abimelech did. And so um, it's just kind of interesting when you see this, this morality uh, coming from this king, because it's almost like the king is almost lecturing him on morality, right? So, so Jacob, or sorry, Isaac is this, uh, is right now God's chosen vessel, right? to uh, live out the covenant, um, to honor God and these things. And then this non-believing king is lecturing Isaac on morality. Right. Yeah. Isaac lied. And so be careful with what you say, you know, be slow to speak. If you ever feel like you're stressed out and you don't know what to say, and you're in a tough spot. I think Isaac might've benefited from taking a pause and wondering what the right thing was to do as opposed to 
what he found wise in his own eyes versus what was what does the Bible tell us to do? Whoa, way to drop a Bible verse. My bad. Right, which is basically not to lie. Okay. Is there an actual Bible is there an actual Bible verse that says don't lie? Well, there's a Bible verse that says don't don't be wise in your own eyes, I believe. No, yeah, but, but Bible verse, yeah, uh, the the 10 commandments, Exodus 20, you know, don't bear false witness. Right? There you go. You always have my back. <laughs> And going back to your comment about extreme stuff, this was extreme protection. Extreme. <laughs> extreme. It's extreme. extreme. <laughs> um, I would also add that, you know, I think there's a lot of people that there's a lot of confused Christians or people or really people of any faith that think that someone outside their faith can't be moral. I mean, that's completely irrational and not accurate. You know, you can totally be moral and live according to the way God created the world and benefit from following the Bible, whether you know you're following the Bible or not. So, for example, if you are, you know, following the Ten Commandments, for example, and you're not stealing or coveting or committing adultery or what have you, you're going to benefit from the way God created the world, which was a world that typically doesn't reward such behavior. I also think Abimelech, it's possible that Abimelech could have heard of the stories of old that involved Abraham and Sarah and you know, there were curses that were brought down upon the people that that almost had uh, sexual relations with Sarah. And so they could have heard of such stories and been very concerned by, I don't know if the right word is God's chosen people, but basically messing with, messing with this particular people group because it didn't fare well when people were messing with Abraham and his wife. So Abraham had a good track record of, of being successful and conquering his enemies and, you know, uh, his enemy and the people that, you know, ultimately almost had relations with Sarah ultimately were cursed until they let Sarah go. So, Genesis 20, verse 2, and Abraham said of his wife, Sarah, she is my sister. This is Abraham we're talking about now. This is going to get confusing. This is not Isaac. Okay. Good old Papa Abe. That's right. I'm reading about Genesis 20. We're in 26 right now. So this is in Genesis 20. So Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent men and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream of the night and said, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is married. Now Abimelech had not come near her, and he said, Lord, will you kill a nation even though blameless? Did he not himself did he himself not say to me, She is my sister? So we got another Abimelech and this was a long time ago as Justin reference, but 
it's quite possible the current Abimelech in Isaac's time knew about this and was concerned, rightfully so, about basically committing adultery with um, Rebecca. You want to move on to the next one? Let's do it. Verse 12. Now Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundred times as much. And the Lord blessed him. And the man became rich and continued to grow richer until he became very wealthy. For he had possessions of flocks and herds and a great household, so that the Philistines envied him. Now all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of his father Abraham, the Philistines stopped up by filling them with dirt. Then Abimelech said to Isaac, go away from us, for you are too powerful for us. So Isaac departed from there and camped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. What are your thoughts on this? Uh, whoa, 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 yep. whoa. Well, uh, we see the fulfillment of what God ultimately promised and earlier in the chapter. God says, do not go down to Egypt, stay in the land of which I shall tell you, live for a time in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you, to you and your sins, I will give all these lands, I will establish the oath which I swore to your father Abraham. So basically, Isaac obeys God. He stays in the land. He stays in this particular area in which God wants him. And Isaac begins to sow. And he kills it he's making money hand over fist in this area and it specifically says in verse 12 and the lord blessed him pretty interesting i love that in this chapter we find it abundantly clear that while isaac seems to be doing his part with regards to obeying god and working there's no sense that Isaac's not working hard in this area. But it's very clear that the reason for his tremendous success is because the Lord blessed him. I think it can be very easy to see success in this world and, be give, and give yourself a lot of pats on the back thinking you're the greatest thing since the invention of the cell phone. You know, I mean, everyone can just think that they are the coolest. The And it's all because of this guy right here. You know what I mean? Not that guy. This guy. You know? And I think it's really super clear that God blessed them. I've seen a lot of people work really, really hard and fall flat on their face. Okay? So you you can be misled into thinking that Hard work can, is going to ultimately result in success. It doesn't happen, always happen that way. There's tons of people. You only hear about the people in the news that are that, that hit it big. You don't hear about all the people that failed trying out their ideas. So I really like that in this section. Good call. Yeah, one of the things we see referenced here is the, the Philistines. Um, so already there's some, there's some quarrel with the, with the Philistines. Uh, or we see that they're kind of disrupting what Isaac is doing. And later on in history, we will see that the Philistines will become 
I mean, just a, a significant enemy of Israel. Those Philistines. What are you going to do? <laughs> Can't live with them. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> okay. Verse 18. Argument over the wells. Then Isaac dug again the wells of water which had been dug in the days of his father Abraham. For the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the same names which his father had given them. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of flowing water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with the herdsmen of Isaac, saying, The water is ours. So he named the well Essek because they argued with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over it too. So he named it. Sitna. Then he moved away from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it, so he named it Rehoboth. For he said, At last the Lord has made room for us, and we will be fruitful in the land. Um, we see here, I like how you referenced in the previous verses how God should be credited with the, the blessing. Um, of what Isaac received. And so we see here God blessing Isaac through these wells, through the digging of the wells. And no matter what conflict occurred, Isaac, the well was successful, right? And Isaac saw the, the blessing. And so wells were a big deal. And that, that time, like that was how you got your drinking water. That was how you watered your cattle. That was how you would have irrigated your, your crops. So like, it, you know, you can't just go to the grocery store and get your bottle of water. You know, if somebody stops up your well, this is, this is a big deal. And That's so how kid, you would take baths. Yep. And you, and this, you wouldn't this, know much about that one though. No, 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 no. Game is hard, but. I no, you're that, Justin's a bit of a water conservationist. He, uh, yeah. <laughs> he saves the planet one, one no bath at a time. Exactly. <laughs> hey, we, we've all got to do our part. Okay. <laughs> <All right. laughs> Not showering is my part. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So uh, this is a big deal. I mean, when you stopped up someone's well, that could start kind of some uh, a battle or a war in, in those days. And so that was a big deal. But <clears throat> like I said, we continue to see God's blessing on Isaac in this area. And so uh, the first well, Essek, means dispute. Uh, the second well, Sitna, means opposition. And then the third well, Rehoboth, means room. So now Isaac had room and space uh, away from his enemies being causing obstacles and trying to disrupt his wells. Yeah, I think that was pretty generous of Isaac to uh, take the high road and move along to the next area. I mean, digging a well couldn't have been, you know, something you did in in like an hour, you know. It probably took a little bit of time to dig a well, you know, but they didn't have bulldozers back then that I'm aware of, at least. <laughs> so, so uh, no, Abe's it, bulldozers. Say so what? Abe's bulldozers. <laughs> Abraham's bulldozers. Bulldozers. You know, who knows what technology they had back then, but. 
they might have had something similar to you know bulldoze. who knows okay not me but i will say this it probably you know putting all that effort into digging a well it probably wasn't something that they were really excited about you know especially you know the people in the group who were the well diggers you know uh they had to dig three i mean multiple multiple different wells so the fact that isaac moved along I, he probably had to humble himself a little bit to ultimately make that decision to move along, put his pride to the side. And um, he managed to live peacefully with these with the people there. I would also add, you know, if you're digging a well, um, I've read some biblical commentaries that say that if you're digging a well, you know, you're you're planning on being there for a little while. You know, you're not just passing through. And so ultimately, Isaac is trying to be faithful to what God called them to do and um, digging these wells and creating a more of a permanent residence in this area was exactly what he was attempting to do. I will say this, um, if I had like kind of a priority list on how I ultimately make decisions, obviously the first one is to follow what God tells you to do in the Bible and then pray about it if you feel you know, particular conviction about something, so long as it doesn't contradict something in the Bible, then that seems like a good route to go as well. So we're making a decision. One, follow the Bible, pray about it, so long as it doesn't contradict what's in the Bible. That might be a good direction to go in. Then three, I would say if you're getting a lot of roadblocks down a certain path, then my experience has been it's it's possible maybe you're going down the wrong path. Maybe God's trying to direct you into a different path. And so maybe God was ultimately trying to direct them into a different area. What seems like a challenge could in fact have been a blessing. Hey, they're posting up here to dig a well. Why don't y'all pick up and move and go over here? So God might have been, been trying to direct them in the right location. And so while Isaac is first and foremost being faithful by staying in the area that God ultimately told him to be in. He's also being flexible in that he's, he's, you know, he could have, Isaac could have just killed all these guys or gotten a big battle with them. You know, instead he, uh, he managed to, um, you know, change course. So that's ultimately, that's ultimately how I've, how I've lived my, my life. And I found myself originally going down a certain path and that path, I'm glad I stepped away from that path because what I thought I wanted turns out ended up being something that I didn't want, want at all. Justin, do you have any, do you have any particular examples of that in your own life? None that I'd like to share to post on YouTube forever. <laughs> I won't say this. Verse 23. <laughs> Verse 23. And he went up from there to Beersheba. And the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of your father, Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for the sake of my servant, Abraham. So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. There's your other well. So we see here, um, this is kind of what I had first talked about that I'd wanted to get into about how God confirmed the Abrahamic covenant with Isaac here at, at Beersheba. So 
Abraham is actually the one that named the place Beersheba, um, and he had actually met another uh, Abimelech there um, also. So that's, it's kind of, we see once again, this is, we see a mirror or a, a copy of what, you know, Abraham's life and what he did in these certain areas. And so the Abrahamic covenant is stated in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3, and this is where God promises Abraham uh, land, seed, and blessing. Um, and the idea is that God is, is making Abraham, he's going to make a, a nation out of Abraham, and then he's going to bless the world through that nation. And so uh, I want to reference a few verses and, that we've talked about. So later on in Exodus chapter 2, verse 24, so God heard the, their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So this is when the people are in Egypt, the, the Israelites are in Egypt. And so this is another verse uh, in the next book of the Bible where the Abrahamic covenant is mentioned. And then ultimately what the Abraham covenant uh, points to is stated in Galatians 3.16. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say and to seeds as one as one would in referring to many, but rather as in referring to one and to your seed that is Christ. So when we see that he talked about uh, bless the the nations, it, that's what ultimately the idea is that the Messiah is going to come from the Israelite people and then pay the price, uh, die for the whole world. And so a tri tribe of every tongue, uh, sorry, every tongue, tribe, and nation is represented in, in heaven as we see in the book of Revelation. So this is what that's referring to. No, I completely agree. So the Abrahamic covenant, that's a that's a super big deal. Where is the Abrahamic covenant first um, discussed? Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. Genesis 12, verse 1 through 3. Perfect. Cool. I'll just add something small here. What does Isaac do after God appears to him and tells him these things? He builds an altar there. Which is the exact same thing that Abraham, his father, did when after God made the covenant with him. And I think building an altar kind of does at least two things. One, it's kind of a sign of worship, right? It's showing your thankfulness for what God's um, done for them and, and for appearing to him and telling him these things. The second thing it does, I think it's an awesome reminder of a big event in your life. I think often, I think God will bless us and we'll recognize that blessing and we'll be extremely thankful. But we have... This, this same memory as a fish, you know, very short memory. I think fishes have short memories. Okay, maybe that's a terrible analogy, but we'll have a very, very short memory. And we won't remember these things. And so when we're having doubts or concerns or, you know, wondering where God is, it's like it can be easy to forget like the 20 things you just did right, you know, last year for you, you know, that you, that you, that you notated at that time, but you forgot. Well, how do you not forget? One way is to build a big old altar, you know. Another way is to write it down in a notepad or some Noted, type of journal. Dictated. 
Not a diary, a journal, fellas. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, don't want we any. We look diet. like we have diaries. <laughs> um. So. Yeah, that's something. That, and I, the reason why I say this is this is something I personally am terrible at. I have a terrible memory, and so I'll forget um, some really big moments in my life that that I'm extremely thankful for. So, verse twenty six. Then Abimelech came to him from Gerar with his advisor, Ahusith, and Pekal, the commander of his army. Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me, since you hate me and have sent me away from you? They said, We have seen plainly that the Lord has been with you. So we said, An oath must be taken by us, that is, by you and us. So let us make a covenant with you that you will do us no harm, just as we have not touched you and have done to you nothing but good and have sent you away in peace. You are now the blessed of the Lord. Then he made them a feast and they ate and drank. In the morning, they got up early and exchanged oaths. Then Isaac sent them away and they left him in peace. Now it came about on the same day that Isaac's servants came in and told him about the well which they had dug and said to him, we have found water. So he called it Sheba. Therefore, the name of the city is Beersheba to this day, Justin. Yes, I like it. So uh the prior abimelech so the abimelech that we read about in genesis 20 also acknowledged that god was with abraham and so we see the same thing that this current abimelech acknowledged that god was with isaac and then they they made a covenant like we talked about so in um ancient times it was it was common to have a feast as part of the the covenant uh, making process and then after that they we see that there was another well another well dug and uh this one was named sheba which means oath or seven yeah i think that's great abimelech and the commander of his army comes to isaac to negotiate peace essentially because Abimelech sees how successful Isaac is becoming through the blessings of God. Even Abimelech notices that, by the way. It's very fascinating. If you see here, you are now the blessed of the Lord. Verse 28. So, Isaac ultimately agrees to peace and they make an oath. I will just say this later on in the Bible. God's people make oaths of peace when they should not have. And I think one difference is that later on in the Bible, God specifically tells the, the God's people that not to make peace with these individuals. Whereas no, you're, here... You're referencing the, uh, in Joshua when he made peace with one of the... Uh, uh, the, the tribes in the uh, land of Canaan, one of the Canaanite tribes, yeah. That's right. That's right. Where here, um, God didn't really give them any instruction 
not to make peace. And so I think Isaac's using his best judgment in this case um, and decides it's not such a bad idea to have peace with his neighbors. So verse 34, when Esau was 40 years old, he married Judith, the daughter of Beri the Hittite, and Basemath, the daughter of Elon the Hittite. And they brought grief to Isaac and Rebekah. So we see here um, Esau's character continue to, to play out in a negative way. This is a, a contrast to Abraham choosing a wife for Isaac from his own people group instead of the ungodly societies uh, that were surrounding them. So Isaac should not have married these Hittite women. Uh, because they were not from a society that, that followed the one true God, but instead practiced anti-biblical religious practices. And so, um, obviously, this, the spiritual aspect was not a concern to Esau, as we've seen on multiple occasions. Absolutely. I think it's clear here Esau is not marrying... Well, I was going to say equally yoked, but who knows how yoked Esau really was, right? Maybe yeah, Esau – sorry, go ahead. Yeah, he's not He's not looking for the Christian honeys he should be. That's right. That's <laughs> right. He should be focused on somebody who is, you know, pursuing a relationship with God and putting God first in their lives just as he should be doing himself. And ultimately, this brings a lot of grief to his parents, which is totally not cool. Um, definitely don't want to do that. So whoever you marry, you know, you're, they become family. And if anyone's got a, a crazy in the family, then they know you can bring a lot of grief to the other people in the family. So... That's not me and Justin, by the way. We don't have any of those. Um, no, that's that's other. Those are those. Are, that's for everybody else on this. Everyone else listen to this. Cool, Justin. Any final thoughts here? Yes. So as we saw, Isaac was tested in this chapter. Um, there were some ways that he responded well, and there were ways that he didn't. And so, I want to read Romans chapter five, verse three and four. In reference to this, and not only this, but we also celebrate in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance and perseverance, proven character and proven character, hope. So this kind of overlaps as well, um, uh, some verses in, in James. And so the idea here is that I like the way Warren Wearsby said it. Unbelief asks, how can I get out of this? While faith asks, what can I get out of this? And so whenever I think about this topic, I think about St. Patrick. <laughs> I think about St. Patrick, and he has a very inspiring story uh, where he was actually captured. He was, he, I believe he, he was British, captured uh, by uh, Irish and taken uh, over to Ireland to, uh, to work as a slave for years. And he, he worked um, in, in slave labor. And then finally, one night, he had a dream to walk a long way um, to the coast to board this ship. 
that would take him home. So out of, he would escape the slavery. And so he did that. He followed that dream that God gave him. And when he got to the ship, he eventually made it. The, the captain said, hey, we're, we're full. You can't get on this ship. Um, you know, you won't be able to leave. And so it, it, what I heard about his response, his response was, Lord, what, what do you want me to learn from this situation? You know, and I, I picture myself in that situation. I'd have been like, God, you promised me what's going on. God, no, no, I got to get on the ship. I got to, you know, what, what? No, you know. And so, but what happened was is, so he prayed that, hey, God, what do you want me to learn from this situation? Not long after that, someone had uh, gone and gotten Patrick and told him that the captain had miscalculated and that uh, there was room for him on the ship. And so if you're uh, familiar with St. Patrick, he actually ended up going back to Ireland, having a ministry there. Um, and his, his, his testimony in life was just a really cool story. Um, and so it, it, it was, but it, it speaks to this topic right here of really when we're going through obstacles or test of, of faith or whatever it is that we kind of have the attitude of approaching God, asking what he wants us to learn from this not just having this, the attitude of wanting to get out of every situation. Now, I don't think it's wrong, though, to when you experience a situation you don't want to be in, to discerningly and strategically navigate the situation as best as possible to try to avoid unnecessary troubles in our lives. So totally. That, that's just discerning. But I think that always asking God, Hey, can you just bail me out of this? So I don't have to deal with this. Right. I don't think is the right response. I think definitely we, God is our heavenly father and we should come to him and ask him for help out of situations that we want out of, but we should also ask him, Hey, am I in this situation? Because you want me to learn from this. And what is it that you want me to learn from this? So just approaching these situations uh, the, uh, as a spiritual learning experience. And I know in my life, there have been times when the more sensitive I, I, I approached life in, in that way, the, the, the quicker I learned and the quicker I got out of certain unlikable situations. Not every situation, but there were definitely situations that I feel like once I learned a spiritual lesson, the, the conditions changed. And I feel like that the Lord didn't want to take me out of the situation too early until I learned that lesson. And I ended up keeping myself in lots of situations because I was unwilling to learn the lesson, just wanted that wanted the time to be over. And so I think that's an example of what we see here, um, that when we're tested, we, we should view it as an opportunity to grow in our faith instead of responding with lies or, or deception or going about it the wrong way. And instead of just wanting God to, to bail us out. Yeah. It's a really, really great point. I think sometimes challenges can actually be opportunities. Thank you so much, everybody, for joining our Genesis 26 Bible study. Super fun today. If you have any questions, throw those in the comments. If you have any feedback on one of the things we can improve, Throw those also in the comments. Ring the ring the bell if you would. We would love one, two, and just hit that button as many times as you need for that thing to light up. Subscribe. Tell your mom about this.
we want to get moms and dads on here as well. Um, totally just kidding. Don't tell you, we don't want this to turn into a Facebook situation. We're more like Instagram, by the way, just so you know, just kidding. Hope everyone has a great rest of their day. Peace out.